0: From the high desert in far east, west Texas, this is the world's fastest-scoring sports media podcast with Ed Sports TV Ratings. Uh, joining me on the uh, High Desert Hotline for this episode is Kevin Draper. And uh, for most of my run doing the uh, Ed Sports TV Ratings thing, Kevin was a deadspin. And now he's at the New York Times, uh, but still definitely writing about topics uh, sports media enthusiasts like me are interested in, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, don't read any crazy nonsense into NFL ratings to. Uh, you know, whether the athletic, what, what is the athletic doing and are they going to make it? And of course, barstool, uh, Kevin, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings.
1: Are you, are you still growing that fast or have you, have you plateaued yet?
0: I think, uh, fastest week ever was when, uh, when, uh, Jim Miller, James Andrew Miller was yeah. on, not quite as fast. This, this one I think will do pretty good. Uh, okay, you're, let's you're, hope so. you're, 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 a, you're a good get for me, I think. So, uh. <laughs> Um, You know, I saw your byline on a on a New York Times story, I think, like, you know, maybe like a day or half a day before I got the, uh, hey, by the way, my email has changed email from you. And uh, my initial reaction, while, you know, was honestly probably hyperbolic, but it was authentic. When I saw your byline at first, and and I was thinking, wow, Nick Denton has a foothold in the New York Times, and uh, like I said, I know that's hyperbolic, but uh, I really did kind of have some sense of, wow, this is kind of pretty amazing. I'm just wondering what it's been like for you, the journey from uh, from Deadspin to the Gray Lady.
1: Well, it's one that uh, has been paved by people a little bit before me. So you know, at Deadspin, I was on broadly the ESPN beat and lots of things around that, but. Before me on that beat was Greg Howard, and before him right. on that beat were John Koblen, and yep. they both uh, went to the New York Times. And so the New York Times definitely likes, uh, I don't know, people that come from that direct background. Um, but it's been, it's been good so far, and it's, to a lot of, you know, it's, they're obviously different places, very different places, uh, but for the most part, the reporting stuff is similar. You know, both places want me to go get good, interesting stories, uh, and generally freed me to do that um and so it's the day-to-day is not as different uh, i think as you might think
0: yeah i i didn't necessarily think it was all that different and and uh and uh you know my my thinking about the uh the nick denton foothold is is based on the other the other people from uh from the gawker gawker empire uh being at the new york times as yeah, well it's there might very be besides
1: yeah besides the deadspin people they're I mean Corey Sika, who is an original Gawker editor, is now Styles editor here. Uh, and there's there's maybe maybe a dozen of us, maybe not that many, but something like that of Gawker Media alums now at the New York Times.
0: Yeah, that that uh, that is pretty cool. So i i wanna I wanna start off talking about Barstool, just in case we wind up talking about that for an hour. Uh,
1: <laughs> and,
0: and and you know I think. You've been you've been following this stuff actually for for a longer time than I have, and I think you have probably sampled uh, much much more of the uh, you know the barstool content than I have. Um, I'm kind of like a uh, you know just a bystander on barstool, but uh, a couple things were 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 very clear to me uh, that I think should have been clear to everyone, and I, I'm just c- trying to kind of get a sanity check on whether you think it's the case. And the uh, the first is and, and, uh, you know, I think this just as a generalist, like if I didn't care about uh, sports media at all, but like I was spending, you know, the couple hours a day or so on Twitter that I probably am uh, following media people just via osmosis, I would get the idea that the media thinks misogyny is really bad and that uh, due to other stuff in the news, there's you know, there's more energy around that thinking uh, today than there is you know, maybe some at some points in the past. And the other part of that is by osmosis. I get the idea that most, especially in the sports media who cover that sort of thing, unequivocally think Dave Portnoy is a misogynist. And uh, those are sort of like the two basic premises I had as I was thinking about the landscape for the ESPN and Barstool discussions. And I'm wondering if you think those premises are valid or they're, they're kind of off.
1: Um, well, so there's a couple things there. I'll tackle the the easier one first, which is, I mean, I think you're right that that the landscape um, of you know sexism and sexual harassment, sexual assault, and to be clear, not that as far as I'm aware, you know Barstool has been accused or uh, you right. know of kind of the more serious offenses there, um, but. Right. It's a, it's a fun theoretical question of six months ago, if this partnership had happened pre-Harvey Weinstein reporting. Right. Um, and, you know, every single day there's somebody else in the media that is getting uh, fired or, or something like that because of uh, sexual harassment, assault, and things like that. Would it have been different? I think the answer is yes. How different would the partnership have worked, et cetera? You know, I, I don't know. Hard to say. Um, but that certainly had an impact um, on everything, right. and then, and the the you know kind of the question about Portnoy is, I think it's a, a sort of a larger question, which is is, who who associates with whom? Can you separate uh, you know one person at a company from another person at a company, um, and and things like that? And I think there's, there's certainly many people in the media who like big cat and pft and don't think they've done anything or much wrong but they do have large problems with you know what portnoy has said and even up until you know it's not just that it was in the past it's not that things were happening in 2014 when uh i hope i don't butcher her name when elika Sedegi, um you know posted things on twitter about the contract of an unnamed place that she wanted that wanted her to sign that she felt kind of was an unethical contract Yep. Dave Portland, I came out with this video that attacked her and, you know, said some derogatory things about her. And that was two weeks ago or, or whatever.
0: Right. Um, yeah, it was right before the show was announced or, you know, basically at the same time. And, uh, you know, that that to me is a, is another angle here that I, I don't I mean, I'm sure people are thinking it. I'm going to say it out loud. I mean, like I'm not a knucklehead for wondering, like, was uh, was there maybe some uh, some goal on his part to to try and sabotage? uh you know, uh, PFT and Big Cat a little bit. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that I think that definitively happened, but I, I think there's definitely a case to, to to wonder if there was some of that going on.
1: I mean, I think Barstool in many ways, um, and ESPN is too for very different reasons, but Barstool is kind of at a crossroads. Um, they got the Chernin investment, which yep. I believe Chernin owns 51%, and so – while the Barstool guys in Portnoy kind of retain editorial control, they do not own the company, and presumably the owners of the company could decide to do whatever they want with the company they own. And, you know, while I don't think Barstool necessarily wants to go full mainstream, there's only so much money to be made as kind of a niche internet player. Uh, That's why we have Pivot to Video. That's why, you know, like one of the things I've learned most in this job is that TV money in every way is fundamentally different than Internet money. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I think I mean, certainly Portnoy hurt the chances of the Barstool show of succeeding or getting off the ground at ESPN. um, But it's larger than just kind of this one specific instance. It's it's Barstool figuring out. How can we go big? Do we want to go big? Are we content being a ten million dollar a year business? Do we want to be a hundred million dollar a year business? You know, they have some of the same questions that uh, Silicon Valley companies have. Is the person who founded us and turned us into a thing are they the best person to yep. manage and lead us going forward? Which is why so many founders, you know, get ousted by boards yep. of uh, directors. So it's certainly, you know, I don't, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know what's in his head. I don't know if he, what he intentionally did, but certainly his his actions hurt this show and have larger questions about what Barstool is into the future.
0: Yeah. So, and and this is one where I'm, I'm kind of out there on an Island probably. Uh, I don't, I don't really see anybody uh, talking about this, but I I kind of, I I do. I I have big issues with, uh, with uh, Erica Nardini kind of, you know, her public statement being uh, nothing is sacred at Barstool and uh it is ironic that you know I'm being called out, and I'm like the only woman who's running a, a you know a sports media a company and uh you know I look at that very much as oh well, or shocking a middle aged white guy hired you, hired a woman to defend the misogyny of Barstool to make it look better, and I very much strongly still feel that is exactly the case and uh, I feel pretty strongly like erica gets a pass on the defense of the misogyny am am i am i too extremist in thinking that
1: well uh i mean so everything i've ever heard from people that have worked with her or work with her now you know everyone says very good things about her there doesn't you know there's there's the larger sports media community seems to like her a lot i mean i think you can Proof is in the pudding, right? She's been there, I don't know if it's a year, a year and a half. I'm not sure what right. uh, exactly it is. But you know, to go back to the, the Elka Sadegi thing, she was there and is ostensibly CEO and control of the company as Dave Portnoy releases this kind of incendiary video. And so whatever the reporting lines are, whatever she is trying to do or not do over there, Barstool is still releasing some things that uh, kind of perpetuate what people think about them. Right. Um, and so and she is the CEO there. So to whatever degree Barstool has successes or has failures, she, you know, bears the responsibility for them.
0: Yeah. So I don't really have any problem with with the job that she's doing. And even when she's defending the misogyny, I know that she's just doing doing her job. But I think more of you guys should be calling her out specifically, that that is specifically the thing that she is doing. And it, it seems to me like she gets a pass on that. So uh, so it rankles well, I me think, a little I bit. think
1: the interesting reporting there is is kind of delving into Barstool internal dynamics and finding out what role does Dave Portnoy play in things, what role does right. Eric Gennardini play in things, what role is the Chernin group playing in things, to what degree do they really want to go big on TV, or to what degree do they not? To what degree do they think, you know, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, these places where you can, um, you know, kind of have uh, uh, shows that don't, uh, you know, that traditional TV players might stay away from? To what degree do they think that is a strategy in the future? And I think that there's certainly good reporting that can and should be done, just because, because I don't think many people, myself included have a you know when we have a good idea of how espn works and how they make decisions i don't know that we have a good good you know understanding of how barstool makes decisions
0: yeah that's a very fair point and uh that that's good background that that brings us to the uh the second part of this equation which uh which is the the uh the espn uh side in terms of uh uh both trying to to launch the show and then uh, ultimately launching it and and very quickly canceling it uh and and you have written about this and i, I am sure that uh you read uh, john oran's piece uh in the sports business journal i think it was uh yesterday of, of we were course taping you this always on. read
1: john oran always read yep. john oran
0: there you go john john is is the man so i and i read that and that was there was great reporting in there but mm-hmm. I, I i have to be honest i was like scratching my head at a couple of places just thinking okay but did is is this what is this what really happened is is this how it really happened and uh i'm i'm kind of having trouble swallowing uh that that it went down like that i mean i trust the reporting and i trust that's what people 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 told them but uh, it just doesn't feel right to me i'm wondering your thoughts on this
1: I mean he has certainly done uh, more deeply you know reported stuff on this than me, so you know I'll preface this by saying for the most part, I will defer to John being hundred percent right on this I um, mean I think it's the hard thing here is that uh, you know sports media reporters, observers of sports media it was clear that that kind of Barcelona ESPN is a culture clash, and that if you make this decision to have a show with them that there is going to be backlash, both internally and externally, and that you assume ESPN as being a rational actor, and they've made a calculated choice that the backlash that we get, the criticism that we get, is worth having the show, either because it's going to do great ratings, it's good for our brand, it you know, potentially gets us these uh, people that are going to work for us in the future in, the, in a you know, comedy, podcast, video way, but that all that is, is worth the backlash. And then two weeks later, they cancel it because they decided it wasn't worth the backlash. And it's not like anything happened in those two weeks that right. anyone, I could have told them that this is what's going to happen. I could have yep. told them they're going to get heat. Uh, and so I assumed when they, assigned, when they you know, signed the show that they decided they were ready to deal with that heat. And so uh, that, I think, is the, the fundamentally confusing thing is just how did they not see what was going to happen? Yeah. So it's, it's in the mind boggling.
0: Yeah. It's in the, uh, at this point, I guess in the department of we'll never know. Uh, but many, many people have sort of put it out there that, you know, I think had this show been named pardon my take rather than barstool van talk, uh, ESPN could have dodged this stuff. I, I, I don't, I don't buy that premise, but, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I do admit, you know what, we'll never know. Um, and, and so, you know, in reading the, uh, reading the John O'Ran reporting, uh, it, it's i still come away thinking okay okay john skipper ultimately overruled uh mr shell and mr magnus but why didn't he do that sooner i mean i i just right. it's 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 not hitting home for me that there was something that all of a sudden oh oh now i get it uh and i i didn't see what that event was and i guess that the re- you know the reporting makes it look like it's the uh you know, well, it starts out, you know, saying that the, uh, the Sam Ponder thing, well, they actually knew about that, you know, beforehand that it was going right. to be a problem. Uh, yeah. and so that was the biggest, the biggest part of that was like, wow. Okay. So they knew in a week in advance that, uh, that she was, that she was not happy about this, the situation. And they, they still, uh, they still went at it. And, uh, and I, I come away with it. I, I'm still baffled like that, that this happened in the way that it happened.
1: Right. Well, and this is something that I think, um, some degree we have seen time and time again for years, but especially, you know, crystallize in the last six months, which is ESPN not being proactive and being very reactive to to things that happen. Um right. and this is, you know, we saw it with the month long Jamel Hill non suspension, then almost pulling her off Sports Center and then ultimately suspending her for something else. Um and you know, you could see the second time at least the, the statement that was released explained what she did, why that was bad, why they were suspending her in ways that the first time there was, I don't know, ultimately maybe three statements, four statements, I can't remember, each, you know, advancing small little bits. Um, but the entire situation seemed to be reacting to a situation, and the Barstow one is the same one. It seems to be yep. doing a thing, reacting to what happened afterwards, um, and you would think there's kind of a lot more strategic planning and thinking going on there. And yep. if it is, it is leading them in poor directions uh, or it doesn't exist. And I don't know which one of those two things it is, um, but it, it's certainly missing on some end that is continually leading ESPN into these uh, big brouhaha's.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I guess one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, you know, more emphatic on this topic than some others is it, at least to me, it, it, it just, and, and I, I, I confess, I admit that the, uh, that the social media stuff and the Jamel Hill stuff is, is a little bit more nuanced, but it still, it still winds up feeling like all this is very self-inflicted that they're, that they're, that they've done it to themselves. And uh, barstool in particular felt that way.
1: Right and yeah, I think that is the takeaway. I think that's even the takeaway among you know a lot of people I talk to within ESPN that they kind of slap their forehands uh, with their with their hand in their forehead with their hand, and just and just are like, how is this happening? Like, why are we getting dragged through this dumb thing that? we should have been easy, you know, the layoffs, that's a different story. That's a, yep. you know, big financial thing. That's one they can't completely control, even if, you know, no matter how they get ahead of it, they're always going to receive negative press for layoffs. You know, like that, that's just one you have to go, that's, that's you know, unfortunate and, and you can't win the public perception battle there. But a lot of the other ones across this summer um, seems like they could have won or at the very least not lost, uh, but they lost most of them.
0: Yeah. So, uh, just to maybe, maybe, uh, give, give at least give ESPN credit where credit is due. Uh, did you, did you see the, uh, the James Andrew Miller piece yesterday on uh, on Monday night football?
1: Yeah, I did. I thought it was very interesting.
0: Yeah, I thought it was very interesting too, and I—I I mean, I thought the uh, the whole article was thought-provoking. But the uh, the news that the ESPN had been able to negotiate uh, into some of its recent affiliate agreements—that uh, you know—that they had uh, basically removed language that said something like, "If we don't have NFL, your fees go down." Right. Uh, that right. language is gone, and I was I was really blown away by that. So the same people uh, who who maybe like didn't, you know, should have figured out Barstool, just like on a quick sniff. Uh, you know, this, the same company that, you know, I, I felt like that is a pretty massive thing that they pulled off. And I, I don't think that story is, is over yet. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's more to this and, and we'll find it out as, as, uh, as time progresses. But I just found that a, a really interesting, uh, uh, a change to the dynamics of, uh, ESPN.
1: Right. And this is something that, um, You know, a lot of times people, both within ESPN and generally in the sports media, you know, say things like, why are we spending all of our time talking about Barstool or First Take uh, or the competition against Fox Sports? And I don't know that these numbers are 100% correct, but the general idea is correct, which is. Something like seventy percent of ESPN's revenue is subscription fees and thirty yep. percent is advertising. Yeah. And then of that thirty percent advertising, something like seventy percent of it is advertising on their live events and thirty percent is on their daytime shows. And so yep. when it comes down to it, the daytime shows are, you know, roughly ten percent of ESPN's revenue. Maybe the number's seven, yep. maybe it's twelve, but yep. whatever it is, it's relatively small. And so the you know, they reached a carriage contract. Deal with Altice, which represents sort of Brooklyn and Long Island, uh, and the as far as I can tell, ESPN won that big time. They got subscription fee increases. Yep. They got Altice to carry uh, SEC Nation and ACC Nation or ACC Network, excuse me, they uh, SEC Networks. And the the, the trade off there is, I believe, they're allowed to sort of start dropping ESPNU a little bit. Um, they. I don't know the exact number, but they either kept the same or upped the kind of penetration agreement—the amount of households that that Altice has to carry ESPN right. in—and now we have this reporting that there was some form of language change that gives ESPN kind of more flexibility in carrying in carrying football. And so on the you know on this this opinion show uh, thing, Jamel Hill thing—they're taking they're taking a beating, but. On the things that really, really drive ESPN money in a time yep. when they're struggling with subscription decrease, when you know, Facebook and Amazon and Netflix are supposedly challengers, when all these things are happening that are really difficult for ESPN's business, they actually signed a really great deal, and they've got two years of uh, having to do all these negotiations, going to ramp up with Charter and Comcast and these much bigger players and Altice, yep. and they started off those deals by getting just this huge win,
0: Editor's note. Kevin's audio was great, but mine was not in a couple of spots. There's a, one or two more coming up. And uh, I like my listeners, so I really didn't want to subject you to uh, screeching static. Uh, so here I just said that uh, Kevin gave a good summary and that uh, while it's true, a lot of smaller topics, you know, Jamel, Barstool, etc. Uh, get uh, a ton of media attention. Uh, this is a big, big story and it's a very important story. It's more important than that, that other stuff, even if it's boring.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's a, um, and yeah, it's the it's the less sexy stuff. It's you know, frankly, pretty boring unless you're like really into this world, and that's why this type of thing is covered by trade publications much more than than you know newspapers and blogs. Um, but if they you know have this two years of deal making and they do really strong deals that sets them up for the next five years, decade, whatever it is, in ways that any individual TV show only has a small impact on that time frame.
0: Another editor's note. Uh, so here uh, I just asked Kevin to uh, to talk about the uh, the great story yeah. that uh, he did on The Athletic. And uh, I asked the question in an open-ended way, but, the, uh, again, the uh, the static was horrible, and I wanted to spare you people from it. So uh, here's Kevin on The
1: so I mean, there's been, um, or you know, I was not the first one to write an athlete, the story about the Athletic. They launched in January 2016. And there were various stories there, and then there were a lot of stories um, this summer when they raised I think 5.4 million dollars. I might be off a little bit there, but it's roughly that amount of money. Um, and and so, kind of, to me, the fundamental question about the Athletic is not, are they going to open in this city? You know, are they going to hire these reporters? It's They are here for the near to medium term. They have enough money and subscription revenue. They have enough money and venture capital money that they're not going to go belly up and go out of business tomorrow. But so the question to me is, and the question I talked to as many people as I could to try to answer is, will they be here in five years? Will they be here in 10 years? Are they kind of a flash in the pan that can't sustain it? Or are they the next? you know bleacher report who who got this huge money from turner and are now right. kind of a you know they're not espn but they are kind of a major part of the sports media uh landscape and so that's kind of the the question i wanted to answer that i didn't think most other reporting on them had had answered yet
0: right and and so um um can can you talk uh, just a little bit about like um you know how how much time you spent with those guys and with alex specifically b, b- sure. you know b- before writing the piece
1: so i'd uh you know i emailed back and forth a little bit just when uh you know random things happened and I had questions uh, and then I went out to San Francisco, where their headquarters is based, um, and we we met up in the not the lobby, but like the the cafe of the San Francisco Four Seasons because they uh, yeah. they have a very small office. There's I don't know five or six people in there. They're they're getting a bigger office, but they have a very small office, and it's not really like suited to have meetings. Um, right. So they told me that they uh, you know after our conversation. Uh, you know, they went back to the office, and they were going right back to the Four Seasons an hour later to meet uh, somebody else. Um, so that was essentially their their conference room. And you know, we were there for an hour, I don't know, an hour and a half, talking um, about all all facets of the athletic. Went to their office a little bit, saw that, talked to them a little bit there, and I talked to you know one of their investors, talked to Paul Finkenbaum, who's kind of heading up their their long form and national stuff. Um, you know, I know many of the writers and editors that they've hired because they've now hired 60 of them or something just uh, coming across them in sports media. So, you know, talked various um, kind of members that have gone there or people in the sports media who have considered going to the athletic or have been, you know, pitched, you should come join us and chose not to. And then finally, just, Media and venture capital people, people that invest in media startups, people that are trying to do subscription startups, things like that, to kind of understand what is unique about uh, or or not unique about the athletic. And those people, as I think I might have mentioned in the piece, um, they were less, they were a little bit reluctant to talk on the record, um, kind of about what they what they saw as the sure. athletics prospect. So you know, I don't quote them a lot, but at least they're thinking about how you do subscription models and things like that. Informed my thinking about it in writing the piece
0: so uh what what was the uh what was the biggest surprise to you of of the of the that whole that whole story you know from writing it to it to it being out there
1: i mean frankly the the thing that was most surprising to me was kind of how taken aback uh, people were by alex Mather 's comments, and he eventually he you know tweeted out an apology for them. Um, and you know, partially, I think it's just because I was close to the story. I was writing it, you know i they weren't hitting me the same way they were hitting people um but
0: so I, so while I, while he was talking to you, you were not in your head thinking, "Oh my God, you should shut up."
1: no, I mean, I knew it was a good quote i mean i you know I've been a reporter long enough, you know that not these guys, but most people generally you know they say boring stuff to reporters, yeah. Uh, And that's, you know, as a reporter, one of your main things you're trying to do is get people not to say boring stuff. Uh, And so you are, and I am very, you know, attuned to. Oh, that's a good quote, or oh, that's a really pithy way of phrasing a thing, or that's really interesting to me in a way I hadn't thought about. Maybe it'll be really interesting to you know the audience of readers. Um, So you know, I knew I knew uh, him talking about uh, you know kind of destroying newspapers was a really good quote, but I think. I think what happened and what surprised me is that kind of this media and sports media at large really were and still are rooting for the athletic because yeah. that could be your next job because if they figure out subscription models uh, and everyone else can figure it out, now we're all getting paid a lot more for our work. You can actually get the raise that if you're at a newspaper, you haven't gotten a you know real raise in a decade. Um, and so everyone was really rooting for them in that way, but also... They're a for profit company they have venture capital funding. their model very clearly uh competes with newspapers and you generally assume companies you know want to best their competitors and want to do better than the people you know that that are uh, that other people are going to instead of them and so while the language might have been a little bit strong to me, it was of course, The Athletic wants to beat local newspapers. Of right. course, it wants people to either stop subscribing to your local newspaper and subscribe to The Athletic. Or instead, you know, when you're choosing one to subscribe to, you choose to subscribe to The Athletic. And of course, that's going to harm newspapers. And so to me, if you'd spent five or ten minutes looking at their business model, his language, while strong, just, you know, they weren't hiding the fact that they're doing this. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. so you know, do you think uh let, you know, I don't know the amorphous uh sports media twitter uh were, were we too hard on Alex for being honest? Uh
1: yeah, I mean yes, yes, I think I think he got a little bit of a raw deal there. Um yeah. and that and yeah, I think that's and fair. not because of what he said, but because of what people's slightly incorrect preconceived notions of what the athletic is or was. And I think, you know, kind of people think or thought he's doing this as a defense, but, like, they do generally pay people well. I have heard, you know, horror stories from newspaper writers about things like um, like getting a laptop, like having a five-year-old laptop and, you know, right. going to your boss at Tronk or Gannett or Gatehouse or whatever newspaper conglomerate you work for and just like, hey, I need a new laptop. I'm a writer. This is what I use every single day. Like, it's a fundamental tool of my job. And that, like, that's impossible to do and, like, how frustrating that is. And at The Athletic, if you need a new laptop and you say, hey, I need this to do work, they're going to get you a new laptop that day. And, like, that, that, that in many ways they do treat their writers and editors very well and that that, that is important, too. And I think it's like, oh, this is just a defense to your comments about, you know, taking down the newspapers. Uh, but I do right. think those things are true and important.
0: Yeah, I I agree. So uh, a tough one, but I got to ask it five years from now. Athletic still around or not?
1: Uh, I think the athletic is still around in five years. Um, I think to me, the big question, which I couldn't fully answer, and I don't know that anyone will until then, is will the athletic still uh, be owned by the people that own it currently or will it have been sold a la bleacher report to Turner? Uh, and I don't know, but my guess would be that the way to make the athletic profitable is, or, or to, to exit with money, is for it to get bought out, not for it to be its, uh, you know, a behemoth on its own.
0: Yeah, so I, I think all those things, but I also think the uh, the ship for those kind of acquisitions for uh, for print has sailed. You know, for any kind of text based journalism has sailed and uh could be that the you know that it, it comes back around uh, but i i just you know like so i see like a lot of stuff like i'll, I'll throw one out there to uh, to to tweak uh, uh my friend rich greenfield I, I see stuff like cheddar which i think is nonsense and there's no business model to it but i could see that you know the video landscape getting frothy enough where it does get acquired because you know people want you know basically buying the talent and the and the people with the skills I'm not sure if I can if I can see that happening for, uh, for right. text based stuff. So I that's mean, my think, hesitancy. I,
1: right. I think I think you're right to be hesitant, but I do I do think it goes back to something I said earlier about uh, TV money being so different yeah. than internet money, and so I I, I can see ways in which uh, in five years uh, Fox Sports decides that. To get people to watch their regional, they have whatever ten, eleven, I don't know how many regional yep. sports networks. That the way to make those perform better is to have people associating good writing and reporting with those regional sports network brands. And so you buy the Athletic, and the Athletic Bay Area becomes. Uh, I guess Fox Sports is not in the Bay Area, so in this in this uh, instance, NBC, the the NBC yep. Bay Area. Uh, is you know co branded with the athletic and tim Kawakami then you know appears on their uh pre game warriors roundtable show or, or whatever kind of like yeah. how Bleach yahoo World they had that a little they, bit of that
0: yeah and ya- yahoo had that relationship with uh w- whatever nbc bay area nbc sports bay area was before it was a uh, comcast
1: when it was comcast. right right yeah they have uh, they have uh, they had a show there and they also i mean at one point adrian Wojnarowski had a deal with Fox Sports to go on their air. Um, and this was when Fox Sports actually tried to do news um, right. before their pivot away from news. Uh, and so I think and so if you are you know a string of regional networks that make Fox hundreds of millions to a billion dollars, buying the athletic for and I'm this is I'm completely making up numbers here, but buying the athletic for fifty million dollars, seventy five million dollars hundred million dollars, might actually not be that huge of a cost when you think of tv money i don't think uh you know an internet publication is going to buy SB Nation or vox media right. is not going to buy the athletic in less than five right. years they look very different than they do today yeah i agree okay so
0: to get you out of here on uh, on a couple of fun ones we're taping this on uh, on halloween and uh so what what's you've lived in a lot of the same places i've lived in uh what's your what's what's the best city you've lived in for halloween
1: uh, for Halloween, uh, I, I will, this will be my first Halloween in, in New York City. Uh, and I did wow. see walking to the subway today a lot of very cute five-year-olds in costumes uh, walking on the sidewalk. But I think it's hard to do Halloween here because of, you know, what do you do? You ring the apartment doorbell of 500 people um, yep. or whatnot. And so I guess for, for Halloween to be growing up in the, the Bay Area where it's a lot a lot easier to do the actual trick-or-treating. that That's the best.
0: And uh, favorite Halloween candy.
1: Uh, when I was a kid, it was always uh Butterfingers. I would always trade with my trade with my brothers <laughs> to to you know get rid of whatever I could to acquire their Butterfingers.
0: I was all, I was always a Snickers guy. I don't know why. So yeah, Kevin. that
1: that that would be the second favorite. That was the second favorite. So uh, thanks very
0: much for joining the world's fastest scoring sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thanks again to Kevin Draper for joining the podcast. Surprise, he's really good talking sports media. And I really appreciated uh, Kevin letting me vent my spleen, and uh, actually thoughtfully, very thoughtfully answering my questions uh, around uh, what I perceive as hypocrisy from some in the sports media when it comes to Erica Nardini and Barstool. I think I might actually have that on my system now. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, and you can find Kevin's work, of course, at the New York Times, and you can find him uh, on Twitter on at Kevin M Draper. That's at Kevin M. Draper, Amazon Mary. And uh, you can find all the past episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.